Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Hey, you know what? We've been in an incredible series, I think it is, um, of messages here for the past several weeks talking about those face-to-face encounters that Jesus had after his resurrection how he appeared to his disciples and uh, ministered to them in some of the deepest points of need, maybe even the lowest points in their lives. And uh, if you missed any of these messages leading up, they are available. If you're a podcast subscriber, you can find Faith Assembly Church in your podcast and subscribe there. All of these are available for download there. Uh, If you prefer the visual uh, of it, you can always go check out our uh, sermon archive on YouTube. Um, Faith Assembly Church's YouTube channel and um, get caught up with us and then of course enjoy and be blessed by this message today but I want to just uh, turn your attention back again to the Gospel of John we're going to jump back in in John's Gospel the 21st chapter today so if you want to find your spot there but I find it interesting as we've been moving through these interactions here that Jesus has had with his disciples that Some of the things that Jesus addressed between his resurrection and ascension are some of the very things that we as believers struggle with in the present hour. Apathy, anxiety, faithlessness, all of these things, I mean, they're they're not hard to find as you look around the body of Christ, maybe even at times as we've taken Uh, inventory of our own spiritual lives it's been easy for us to recognize some of these things and here's Jesus in resurrected form speaking to and ministering to these things in the lives of his disciples and I believe these are poignant illustrations aimed at the heart of believers of every generation because I believe that they may very well represent some of our greatest struggles as believers Today we're going to continue and conclude this series with another face-to-face encounter between Jesus and one of his followers in particular, uh, although there were several present on that occasion. Remember I told you how that Jesus can minister to the multitudes and take time apart to speak to the individual all at the same time because he's God and, and he can do that. So, um, you know, I believe one of the greatest maladies in the world today sometimes both spiritual and physical but certainly in a spiritual sense I believe one of the greatest maladies in our world today is our processing and the way we process our own brokenness now before I really get into the message today I just want to teach for a minute if I can just maybe take a little different cadence and rhythm here this morning and and just have you understand a few things because I, I believe that uh, one, of, one of our greatest struggles in, in life, especially when it comes to spiritual matters, is the way that we process our own brokenness. Based on my observation, brokenness usually manifests itself in a couple of different ways as far as the way that we process it. We are, we're either aware of our brokenness and it causes us a great deal of shame. In other words, we, we know who we are at the core. We know the wrong that we've done and because we are in tune with that and so keenly aware of it, it causes us to be ashamed of ourselves. And we're, we're guilt, understand this, the guilt is an irrefutable fact. 
If you and I have done wrong, the word says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is an irrefutable fact. If you're wrong, you're wrong, period. If you're wrong, you're wrong, and there's, there's nothing to be done about it except for call out for repentance. But when we are wrong, I, we need to clarify the difference here between shame and conviction. Because we, we do and we should even more than we do in the house of the Lord talk about the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. We, we, have, uh, we live in a world that has cast off restraint. In other words, if, if I'm doing something wrong, you're just supposed to be fine and enabler and a party to my doing wrong and you don't bring any correction to me because if you bring correction to me, I'm going to label you as a bigot. I'm going to label you as intolerant. I'm going to label you as somebody that's full of hate. But I'm not going to receive your encouragement in my life to help me change and become better. Have you seen any of that? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's rampant. It's prevalent in our world. So it makes it really difficult sometimes for a lot of people, not for me. I'm going to tell you the truth. And it makes it very difficult sometimes for people to begin to talk about the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. When you and I have done something wrong, when we have sinned, when we've transgressed the laws of God, the Holy Spirit then comes into our lives and he brings upon us a sense of conviction that raises an awareness in our lives of the wrong that we've done, the transgression that has been made against the law of God. And the chief end and aim of that conviction is to draw you and out of repentance that we would come before a holy God and say forgive me Lord because I have sinned and 1 John 1 9 says that if we confess our sins that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness there's that restoration that takes place through the spirit's conviction in our lives but when you've done wrong not only will the Holy Spirit speak to you, but the adversary will speak to you as well. And what the adversary speaks over your life is a word of shame. Guilt is an irrefutable fact. Shame is receiving the adversary's report over your life. Because when you do wrong, he comes in, he says, see? See? I told you you weren't cut out for this. I told you you'd never make it. I told you that, you know, you might have watched somebody else do it. You might have seen people go before you. You might have had these fancy ideas about you being a man or a woman of God. But see, and we become ashamed. And we become ashamed. And the, the, end, the end of or appropriate response in conviction is repentance. And repentance is a sorrow over and turning away from the wrong that's been done. But when, when the adversary comes in, he brings shame. Now, do you, remember, do you remember Adam in the garden? Adam in the garden, when, after he and Eve had partaken of the, the forbidden fruit, the, they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the cool of the evening and Adam said, when God said, Adam, where are you? Adam said to God, Lord, we heard your voice and we hid ourselves because we were naked and we were ashamed. Sometimes I think that what is said is not always what's being said. 
Because what I really, really, really believe in my heart is what Adam really meant to say is, Lord, we heard you coming and we knew that we'd been disobedient and our guilt yielded shame in our hearts and therefore it caused us to want to separate ourselves from you. See, shame causes separation. The the convicting power of the Holy Spirit draws us near to God. The shame that the adversary brings into our lives drives us away from God. It causes us to become reclusive. Have you ever seen somebody that they were in church and they were fired up about church and they loved the Lord? They were zealous in their worship. They They were on fire for the Lord, but something crept into their lives and caught them unawares and caused them to fall. And then after they fell, you never saw them anymore because shame set in and shame caused separation. Shame caused separation. Shame keeps us in prison and it robs us of life's most wonderful blessings. We, we dare not get close in relationships with those who could help us the most because we admire them so deeply we don't want them to know that we're not perfect, so we hide. We, we dare not launch out into anything that will reveal our vulnerabilities for surely we will be seen for who we are, broken and undone. Shame is a great inhibitor in the lives of many. Many, many live under the tyranny of being found out. Add to that the voice of the adversary affirming about you every negative thought that you've ever had about yourself. The second response to shame or to our brokenness is usually sometimes a refusal to recognize it. We call this a pharisaical approach. We're we're so busy trying to justify ourselves before other people that we're not willing to admit that maybe we do have some issues and maybe we are just mortal and maybe we are finite and maybe we are broken after all. And sometimes the longer we've been in the faith, the harder it is to recognize the, the, the infirmities in our own lives. Why? Because we feel like, you know, we stand around and we quote Paul and we say, not as though I have attained. But let's just be real honest. Some of us, after we've been to church 25, 30, 35 years or more, we begin to feel a little bit like maybe we've attained a little bit. And, and, and we, can't, we, can't, we can't afford to be moved off of our pedestals that we put ourselves on in our own minds so therefore when we realize that we have some brokenness in our own lives we're reluctant to admit it because we don't want to be found out we don't want to be seen we don't want to be understood and you know what this this whole idea I mentioned it earlier it's common in the world in which we live today that you know if if somebody has a malady in their lives lord knows we don't speak to it because we're going to be labeled some kind of way It's common in the world, it's common in the church. And rather than recognize our brokenness, we we usually settle to rely on our own righteousness rather than lean on God's strength. And I'm telling you from a standpoint of faith, this is absolutely debilitating for you spiritually in your spiritual walk and growth. We We don't do half of what we could do Because rather than getting serious before God, we're trying to be busy validating ourselves before men and we never grow spiritually because we refuse to lay our vulnerabilities at the feet of Jesus. Are you with me? Today we're going to see Jesus meeting face to face with a man 
who was at best terribly flawed. And at one of the most broken points in his life, Jesus is going to meet this man and he is going to usher into his life restoration. He's going to restore him. Jesus met with his disciples twice as a collective group and we're going to see Jesus meeting once again with a portion of this group. But this time he has some specific unfinished business with a certain man named Peter. So we jump into John's gospel, chapter 21, and we begin to read there. And John says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Now, the, John starts off here, chapter 21, and says, after these things. So after what things? I always like to stop and build a little context around what we're studying because I, I, in 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 terms of being a reference to us, I think the editors of Scripture have done a wonderful thing in adding chapter and verse. In the understanding of things in context, I think sometimes it's a great disservice because we're so apt to put a disconnect in our minds between the turning of the page and the changing of chapters. But this is one continuous narrative that's here before us. And the things, after these things, as a matter of fact, I want to back up there. John concluded chapter 20. We've already seen Jesus walk through the wall and meet with his disciples not once, but twice. He showed up to the group and he spoke peace over them. He came back a second time and he spoke faith over doubting Thomas's life. And then we read these words, it says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I'm here today to declare life over the broken. I'm here today for anybody in this place, anybody under the sound of my voice, that the adversary has spoken over you and told you you're worthless and that you're no good and you're broken beyond repair I'm here today to tell you that there's power in the name of Jesus to restore and to heal and to reconcile you back to the Father the multitude of miracles after this the multitude of miracles that John has just borne witness to Jesus has some unfinished business while, while he's already visited the group and he's spoken peace over them, while he's already demonstrated just, call, just cause for his disciples to have faith, he still has some very personal business to which he must attend with one Simon Peter. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now for all of you outdoor enthusiasts, I want you to understand and I want to preface what I'm about to say next by saying to you there's absolutely nothing wrong in going fishing. Have no issue with you going fishing. But in the context of this narrative today, there's something more that's being stated than just simply Peter expressing his plans for today. See, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out immediately and got in the boat. And that night they caught nothing. What's demonstrated here 
is what I believe happens in the lives of many who suffer a failure in their spiritual walk. I want to take you back in the past just a few weeks, a few hours, and I want, you to, I want to remind you of where we are right now with Peter. Peter has sat at the Last Supper with Jesus. Jesus has looked across or down the table at him and said, Peter, before the cock crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, not me, Lord. Not on your life. Maybe somebody else, but not old Pete. I'm solid as a rock. You said so yourself. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. I, I'm doing this. I've got it down. It's, it's kind of like all the pledges that you and I make. You know, January 1 comes around. We're going to read the Bible through in a year. Week 2, we've got our little plan crumpled up, thrown in the trash because we've already missed a bunch of days, right? We, di- we didn't make it. We, could, we couldn't find the wherewithal within us to be quite as perfect as we pledged to be. Peter's here in this place because you'll remember that on the night that Jesus was arrested, on the, in the very occasion when they were beating him and plucking the hair from his beard and laying stripes on his back and, and, and harassing him and, and just taunting him, in those very moments of Jesus' deepest, darkest hours here in his ministry on this earth, Peter was outside warming himself by the charcoal fires of this world and denying Jesus. And the word says that when Jesus was dragged out of that trial hall, that Peter looked in his face immediately upon denying him. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Great sorrow. Great sorrow beset this man of God. He had failed. You understand? Have you ever failed? You ever, am I alone? Man, I, I've blown it so many ways. I, I, I started writing a book. I don't have time for a multi-volume set, so I just left off. Right? Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, you know, we never, none of us ever intended to, to do that. When we come to faith in the Lord, we're going to be the model Christian. When we get married, we're going to be the model spouse. When we have kids, we're going to be the model parent, right? We we set these things up for ourselves, all these great things that we're going to do, and then we find out that life is real and not a fantasy, and we can't ever quite attain to the model that we set up in our minds. And sometimes we fall and we fall and we fall and we fall short to the point that we believe there's no more redemption for us. And here's Peter at one of these states. Jesus had told him he was going to deny him. And as we follow the narrative, we see that Peter did indeed deny him. And he's since seen Jesus. He's seen Jesus now a couple of times. And everything seemed cool between the two of them. But deep inside, the adversary is at work. And I believe that he's saying to Peter, Peter, you know what? Jesus acted cool around you. But there's no way that that's really the way it is, bro, because you messed up too bad. 
And, and sometimes people come into the house of the Lord and they're vibrant and they're zealous for the things of God and maybe after they've fallen they come back in a few times and everybody knows and everybody greets them and everybody loves on them and everybody accepts them but yet the adversaries in their mind heaping on the shame and they're saying you know what everybody just acts cool around you and everybody acts Christian towards you but the truth of the matter is they know who you are. So they begin to withdraw. You've seen this. You've seen this. You, you've seen people up at the altar weeping, seeking the Lord, going hard, and then one day you just look around and say, Where, huh? Where'd they go? Where, what happened? What happened to so and so? What happened to this? What happened to them? I can tell you what happened to them. They weren't as perfect as they thought they were going to be in their walk of faith. And the adversary came along and heaped on shame. And shame causes separation. And when you get separated, the word says that your adversary is going about as in the similitude of a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That means that he can't just go around devouring at will. He's got to find somebody that he can devour. So he separates and he isolates and he continues to heap on the shame so that then he can devour. That's how it works how your adversary works Peter you can't do this you're not cut out for this life Jesus may have acted okay towards you in front of everybody else but the truth is that he knows who you really are isn't that true for many of us in the church whenever we mess up isn't it true for many of the people who have never really accept who have never really accepted Jesus or never really attended church they say well you know what I'll come to church one day when I can get it together I'll, I'll, come, I'll come to church one day. I'll serve the Lord one day when I can get myself straightened out. I just want to issue this to you today, whoever needs to hear it. Maybe you're watching today online. Jesus doesn't need you to straighten yourself out. Jesus doesn't need, he didn't die on a cross for you to straighten yourself out. He died on a cross so that you in him could find restoration for your brokenness. So that you could find healing for the hurt in your life. And then, you know, lately, ever since 2020, we've heard this term over and over again, and, and all the talking heads say it like it's a brand new thing. They call it quiet quitting. You, you've heard that terminology. It's, it's, it's so old. They just, they don't even know it. They, they think it's a new thing. They think they're so clever in what they've come up with. But quiet quitting has been around, I know, at least as long as the church because I believe that what we're reading here in this narrative, when Peter looks on, because I told you at the beginning, sometimes I think what, what people say is not actually what's being said. And I believe what we're witnessing here in the life of Peter is a case of quiet quitting. Because what he said, there's really nothing that wrong with. He said, I'm going fishing. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But I believe what Peter was really saying is, listen, guys, I'm not cut out for this. I think it's a great cause, and I do think that it's needed in our world, but I also think that I can't do it. And I'm not, I'm not telling you I'm leaving, but I'm leaving. 
I'm leaving, and what am I leaving for? I'm going back to do what I used to do, and I'm going back to be what I used to be because I am convinced through the shame that the adversaries heaped on my life that I can't be this new man that Jesus is calling me to be. I'm not cut out for this. I'm going back to do what I used to do. I'm going back to be what I used to be because I've discovered that I'm not perfect. I'm saved, but I make mistakes. I am a church person, but I'm not perfect. You know what? I believe some of us really, really, really need to go home and we need to get in our word and we need to wrestle through Romans chapter 7. Because you can search the New Testament front to back, inside and out, and you will never find a place in the Scripture where you are challenged in your own strength to be perfect before the Lord. And I'm not here, I'm not here to preach you a message of, of some watered-down, diluted version of grace, but I am here to tell you today that never, ever, ever has there ever been a command in Scripture for you to live reliant on your own resources to be perfect. I'm not trying to excuse any of us from the pursuit of holiness, but, but I am asking why we ever reach the point that it is perfection that we expect from ourselves to the point that if something goes wrong in our lives, we determine that the best thing for us to do is just sit it out. Paul gives us clear testament, Romans chapter 7. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a space there in Romans chapter 7. Paul, the greatest evangelist that ever lived, the, the church planner. Paul, the man who, who saw dead bodies raised to life, that saw infirmities healed, that saw miracles through his ministry. Paul, this same guy, he, in Romans chapter 7, he said, there's a strange phenomenon in my life that I don't understand. And what it is, is that the thing that I don't want to do the thing that I know is contrary to the will of God for my life, I find it so easy to do. While on the other hand, the thing I know that God is calling me to, I can't find the wherewithal to do it to save my life. I'm imperfect and I'm flawed. But Paul gives us, Paul gives, you know, we sang earlier. We sang earlier and I just, I think sometimes we need to get a hold of really, really absorb the, the lyrical messages of the songs that we sing and the statements that we're, we're, we're saying. Because sometimes the, the thing we sing, the proclamation we make, even in song, is so contrary to the way we behave and, and the way we act in given situations. Because we sang just a few minutes ago, my, my failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all. But, but you still call me friend. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That's the amazing part about grace. And as a matter of fact, Paul later writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's, Paul's going through, he's realizing that he's clay, that he's flesh, that he's frail, that he's broken, and that apart from the grace of God, he's undone. And he says here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that he, he lifted these things up to the Lord and said, Lord, could you, could you take these imperfections away from me? And, and the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmity and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress for the sake of Christ for when I am weak I'm strong 
that, that is, and I've I got to qualify this because that is not the adoption of a martyr's complex. You understand this? We don't, we don't stand around singing a woe is me song. No, we sing the song of the redeemed. We sing the song of, of the empowered. We sing the song of the emboldened by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But in our hearts, we recognize that in our brokenness, the strength of Christ is poured on to complete us in places where we couldn't provide for ourselves. His grace is more than enough. But when the morning had come, Fished all night, but we caught no fishes. But when the morning had come, aren't you thankful for the morning? Aren't you thankful? The weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Sorrow, there may be sorrow in your toil, as it seems like in life you're casting your nets and you're dragging up empty over and over and over again, but joy comes in the morning, and morning had now come, and Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know it was Jesus, and then Jesus called out to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, you remember he's here to minister to Peter specifically. We go all the way back, and I love this because here's Peter in a fallen state. He's so, he's so in tune right now with his own imperfection. He's so in tune right now with his own spiritual maladies. And, and in, in, in our minds, we've got to cast back to that first encounter when Jesus stepped into Peter's boat, and he said to him, he said, Peter, hey, launch out into the deep and cast out your nets for a great catch. And he said, but Lord, it's not, we fished all night and we didn't catch anything. It's, it's not the time of day for that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, Lord, at your word and he casts those nets and, he, and here, here we are but he's fallen again and Jesus goes right back to the illustration for Peter's call and said hey cast the net out on the right side of the boat and you'll find some so they cast the net and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish you remember that first time when that miracle catch came in Peter looked at Jesus and said, Depart from me, O Lord, for I'm a wicked man. I'm undone. <laughs> and Jesus' response to Peter then was not to rebuke him, not to chastise him, not to heap guilt on him, but to look at him in grace and mercy and say, Peter, all your life you've been a fisherman and you've been out here working these seas and you've been toiling on these nets night after night after night after night but I'm telling you that today no longer will you be a fisher of the things that swim in the sea but you will be a fisher of the hearts of men and you will cast your net and you will draw into the kingdom here's Jesus again on this seashore and he calls out to Peter again. He said, hey, hey, broken man. Hey, fallen man. Hey, dude, you messed up. You got it wrong. You denied me. You're broken. It's okay because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. 
cast out the net one more time. So they cast and now they're not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. And therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, I find it so interesting that the author of this book refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, dragging the net with the fish. I love the setup. I love the setup of Jesus revisiting the miracle catch to just say to Peter, hey Peter, you're not messed up beyond my grace you're not too bad for my redemptive power Jesus invites these folks to a seaside breakfast cooks up some fish for them has a little has a little get-together a little sunrise service there on the seashore But after that little breakfast is concluded, Jesus has some very intentional business here in the moment. John picks up again in verse 14. He says, this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And I can almost sense when it says here that Peter was grieved, I can almost sense that tension. I can almost sense that frustration because so oftentimes we run to Jesus with all our little accomplishments and we run to Jesus with how perfect we think we've been and we run to Jesus with all the times that we've been to church and we've sat through a service and we've served and we say, here Jesus, I got it right these times. And Jesus says, do you love me? I just, I want to know, do you love me? I want you to notice the Lord's question here to Peter. It's not, Peter, can you get it right? Peter, do you think you can handle this? Peter, are you sure you're qualified? He didn't say, Peter, tell me what you've done to deserve such a sacred trust. Very simply, he said, Peter, do you love me? And that's because today God wants more than your perfection. He wants your heart. He wants more than your ability to get it right all the time. He wants your heart. He wants your love. He wants your admiration. He wants your reverence. He wants your respect. He wants you to have faith in the spiritual and the spiritual sense to know that you can't make it without Him. 
And rather than running around, spending all the effort, trying to get it right, you just sit at the feet of Jesus and you meditate in the word of the Lord until he gives you the desires of your heart and your mind is transformed and the way you think about things has changed. And then you'll begin to get it right as you lean in the grace of Almighty God. I love, the, I love this picture because more than God wants your perfection, He wants your heart. More than God wants you to develop the ability to walk in perfection, He wants you to have the faith and the spiritual sense to know that you can't make, him, make it without Him and place your trust in Him. More than God wants you to be able to list your credentials, He wants you to have a testimony of the sufficiency of His grace in your life. And I love, I love the picture of grace painted in this narrative. Would you stand with me? It's, it's the picture. It's the picture of the marred vessel not being cast away, not being thrown in the garbage, but taken again by the master potter and formed into something new, refreshed and revived. It's the redemptive power of Christ's sacrifice on the cross at work. It's his mercy towards us extended in our brokenness. It's his grace extended towards us that says it is more than enough. And here's Jesus face to face. Reinstating the call of the fallen. And I want to challenge you today that if you've ever considered yourself unworthy because you feel like you've been too bad. I want to tell you today that His grace is greater than all your sin. He doesn't love me because I'm any better. He doesn't love you less because you've not been as good. He loves you the same. This is the picture of Mercy extended. The grace of God abounding and unfailing. And I want to challenge you today that if you've withdrawn, if shame has been added to your life in any measure, and it's caused you to draw back, it's caused you to isolate yourself, it's caused you to be hindered in what God's called you to do and what God's called you to be, who God's called you to be. I want to tell you something. That came from the adversary because the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life will always lead you closer to God, not further away from. And I want you to recognize that today because you don't have to go fishing. You don't have to go fishing. You don't have to revert to being what you used to be and doing what you used to do. You can be affirmed today in your calling as a child of God. You can be affirmed today in your calling as a man or a woman of God. You can be affirmed today in your calling in the love of God to be a world changer in this generation and I just feel like there's somebody maybe you're joining today online and the Holy Spirit has been drawing speaking to you calling to you impressing upon you the love of God for your life and your reply has been, when I get it right, 
I'm too undone. When I get it right, when I get it together, I'm coming. But I want to tell you that in the book of Romans it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. You don't, you don't have to wait to get cleaned up before Christ loves you. He already does. And he has already demonstrated his love towards us in dying on the cross. New life is yours today in Jesus' name. If you're here today, you're separated and you're despondent from the things of the Lord. You've got some things in life that have been holding you back. I'm telling you today, it's time to get keenly aware of our infirmities and get really honest and really reliant upon the grace of God and say, Lord, I've been trying. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've cried and tried to get this thing out of my life. But I realize, Lord, in the frailty of my flesh, I'm incapable, I'm unable. And Lord, right now I look to your grace, the sufficiency of your grace to cover this thing in my life, to give me the strength to help me to overcome. So today I just want to ask you these couple of things. If you're watching online, I want you to maybe, maybe shoot us a message or drop it in the chat right now, wherever you're watching from, and say, would you pray for me? We want to pray for you and we want to believe God for the miracle of salvation in your life. But if there's anybody in this room right now, you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to receive Christ. I just, I sense the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And today I just want to know that things are right between he and I. If that's you, just slip a hand up really quick. Only wait a few seconds. Amen. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've got some things that the adversary's just been heaping shame on. And today I want to be relieved of that. Today I want to hear what Peter heard when he heard that sweet voice of reaffirmation calling out to him, cast out your net. It was a reinstating of the call to be a fisher of men. You say, Pastor, today I just want to be relieved of some things. I've got some things on my heart. I need to get rid of them this morning. These altars are open. Our team's going to lead us. If you need prayer specifically today, we, Pastor Lisa and I, others from our pastoral team, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to believe God for breakthrough miracles in this house. But as our team leads us, would you just make an altar this morning in your heart, in your mind? You can visit the altar here in response to the word today and just turn it over to Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.